The name Billy Graham is familiar to, to us. In fact, when you hear the name Billy Graham, you think of a lot of things today. You think of an evangelist. You think of a heart of compassion. You think of a preacher. You think of large crusades. You think of integrity. You think of authority. You think of it being the president's pastor. You think of a man who is dearly loved these days. And yet it was not always so. In the early days of Billy Graham, people had some suspicions about him. In fact, it's the story is told that he was scheduled to preach in one's community. And one of the more educated pastors said, oh, no. Billy Graham will set our churches back 20 years. Dr. Graham, when he heard that said, he said, well, if I set us back 20 years, I've missed my mark because I really wanted to set us back 2,000 years. Today, that's what we're going to talk about, about being a missional church. If you will, I want us just to, if you got your Bible, and that's going to be on the screen, but if you have your Bible, I want us to review the words, the last words that Jesus gave us. I mean, these are, these are his final words. Turn to Matthew chapter 28, if you will. It's Matthew chapter 28. I want us to hear how all of the evangelists, all the writers um, recorded Jesus' last word. Matthew chapter 28. This is the one that we routinely call the Great Commission. And that Great Commission is recorded five times in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 28, we'll begin reading in verse 8. 18, excuse me, 18. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now take a right in your Bible to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Most of us know that John Mark penned the book and that Peter probably was there uh, giving him some insight into the life of Christ. Mark chapter 16, we'll pick up in verse 14. And the evangelist writes, Later he appeared to the eleven as they were reclining at the table. Watch this. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he had resurrected. Then he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes this and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now take another right and go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. This is a little more extended passage that we'll read. Luke chapter 24. I love hearing those pages turn. Luke chapter 24. We'll begin reading in verse 44. Then he, being Jesus, told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened, his mind, he, then he opened their minds to understand the Scripture. He also said to them, 
This is what was written, that the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sin would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Now turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. This is the beloved apostle, John. We pick up reading in verse 19. John 20, verse 19. In the evening of, the first, of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered, watch this, with doors locked because of their fear of the Jews. Then Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace to you. Having said them this, he showed them his hands and his side, so that the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father sent me, has sent me, so send I you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now turn back to our initial scripture in Acts 1. We've already read this, but I'll read it again, just to keep it in perspective. When they came together, they asked, Lord, at this time are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, we have read that for a purpose. It seems to me that when I read the final words of Jesus, he had something in mind for his church. When you read that, you find words like send and go and, and you shall and witnesses. You get the idea that he wanted us to be about winning the world to Christ and discipling them. Now, for years we as Baptists have called ourselves mission-minded. And that's good. We should be mission-minded. For Southern Baptists, that means that we give a percentage to the cooperative program. We, should, we do and we should. For those who are not quite so familiar, cooperative program is a um, voluntary um, program where all of us cooperate as Southern Baptists. We send, for our church, we send 10% of what we receive to um, Montgomery, and they keep a little of it for in-state work, and then they send the rest of it off to National. And through our cooperative program gifts, we support over 10,000 missionaries on home and foreign fields. We support institutions, Baptist colleges in Alabama, Southern Baptist seminaries. We, we even help uh, churches get planted. It is a great endeavor, and probably we don't talk enough about it, but this is one way that we're mission-minded. Another way, by the way, in um, every five years, we have uh, in history, in days gone past, it was called World Mission Conferences. Today, it's called On Mission Conference, where missionaries come in and share about their work. Now, we've not had that in five years, 
But in six weeks, our association is engaging in an on-mission conference. The last Sunday of October, we'll have a missionary speaking in the morning service and the evening service. And then on Monday night at the, uh, um, at the associational meeting, it's going to be an on-mission celebration where we really get to meet and greet and understand the work of our missionaries. So mark that on your calendar. We do that. We should do that. We better do that. But also, we as a congregation have raised the level of mission-mindedness in the last five years. Because of the last five years, we've sent two teams to Mexico to do missions, and then we've sent two teams to Mississippi to do missions. We do, and we should do that. Additionally, we have men here in our uh, area who are going and doing some uh, uh, building and what have you. We do and we need to do these things. But here's what I want to say to you. To become a missional church is to embrace the Great Commission. And here's what we'll discover, that everybody is a home missionary. Have you ever thought about yourself being a home missionary? Have you ever thought about yourself being a missionary at all? The truth is, uh, Henry Blackaby writes in uh, Your Church Experiencing God Together that this should be a world mission strategy center. We have been given the assignment, we have been given the task of telling people about Jesus beginning right here. Now, why is that so hard for us to stomach? I didn't sign up for this. Well, you're right, and it's not totally your fault. It has to do with our understanding of the church. Now, I don't do this very often, but I think it's very important for us to realize how we got to where we are. And that it's not just indicative of Hueytown Baptist Church. It is indicative of the whole of Christianity. The truth is, we have two periods in, in history. Now, I'm going to do this as quickly as I can, but it's, it's, if you'll watch, it, it will really help us understand why the church is where it is today. There is the apostolic church age, where the apostolic church, and that's not the Pentecostal brethren, that's the apostles, operated. And then we have what we call Christendom. Let me just kind of, let me kind of share those with you. Here's the truth. It, we've read Acts 1. You know in Acts 2 the Holy Spirit fell in Jerusalem on 120 believers. That began the apostolic church. Now watch this. That apostolic church went from 120, a small church, in 24 to 36 hours, they became a mega church, multi-staff, multi-dimensional ministry, urban ministry with the influx of 3,000 people. Admittedly, they had no buildings. They had no uh, budget that we can really put our finger on, although we know there was some money taken up. All of a sudden, they were thrust into a ministry that met both in large groups in the temple and in small groups in the homes of the people. Everybody was considered a minister. By the way, the folks of this apostolic church they were considered renegades. They were considered aliens. They were considered outlaws, and they knew it. They were punished for what they believed. It kept them underground sometime. Remember, we're reading about the fear of the Jews. But they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they were reaching people left and right. They did things on a need to do things. 
In fact, if you read with any kind of openness of mind, you come to Acts 6 that we talked about last week with the deacon body, and what you understand, what you come to understand is that in Acts 6, history tells us about, there were about 20,000 members. Brother Terry, can you imagine? Can you imagine, Brother Johnny? Brother Jason, 20,000? And they come with a complaint. I think I would have moved to Samaria because none of them would have gone to Samaria. They came with a complaint and they said, people are being overlooked in our daily, in our daily ministry and they need to be served. And, the, and the, the pastors that God had called took it under advisement and said, you're right, they need to be served, but listen, we refuse to leave the word of God in prayer. Choose first placement team. Choose from you some men and we'll give them this assignment. And I don't know whether they were Baptists or not. It doesn't appear so because it said that suggestion pleased the entire group. But they did things on a need-to-do basis. And they were powerful. They had no PR. They had no marketing department. And they just reached people, lived lived for Christ. That was the apostolic church. About 300 A.D., a little after 300, around 313, an emperor named Constantine got saved, is the report. When Constantine got saved, he got so full of it, you know what he did? Now, up to this time, the church had been in homes and the temple, anywhere they could meet. They didn't have buildings. They were not recognized by the government. I've already said they were renegades, outlaws, aliens. But when Constantine got saved, here's what happened. He required everybody in the kingdom to get saved. He required everybody to get baptized. He took the renegade church, he gave it validity, and he put it in buildings like we are in today. Personally, I think that was an act of Satan. Because what started off as a movement has has become a monument. Because now all of a sudden under Constantine, The church not only had validity, it had the support of the government. And all of a sudden, now watch this, watch the change. All of a sudden, people expected, since they lived in this Christian community, they expected the blessings of the church. They expected the church to serve them. It was no longer about our commitment to God. It was now what the church can do for me. We call that Christendom Church. And since 300, 313 to be exact, the church has operated under this Christendom form of government. Now, there have been some, there have been some bubbles along the road with the reform movement and what have you, trying to reestablish. If you really want to get a handle on this, read a book entitled The Original Intent of the Church. But you see, here we are today, these what, 1,700 years of a church of Christendom. A church that, I go to church because what they can do for me, for the programs that they have, for the ministries they have. And yet Jesus gave us our walking papers. He gave us the things that we should do. Being a missional church is about everybody being a missionary. Now I want to say this before we move forward into our Bible. This is not easy. 
This is not an easy change of mind. Some of us will say, well, I like the old way better. Really? I would ask who's the oldest person in here, but I don't embarrass. But probably the oldest person we have in here is 90 or under. Do you realize that anything that's happened in the last 90 years is not old? It's relatively recent. Folks, I don't want us to talk this morning about old ways. I want to talk about the older ways. When the church was on mission, when the church did missions, when the members saw themselves as ministers. Now, how do we get back to that? How do we become, how do we become a missional church? Now, whereas I've broken these points down to very simplistic thoughts from our text, keep your Bible open to Acts 1, even though I've broken them down to simplistic text and points, there's nothing simple about making this commitment. Number one, if we're going to be a missional church, we have to appropriate our authority. Appropriate our authority. We know what the word appropriate means. We have legislatures and Congress do it all the time. I mean, they have all the money they need because if they don't have what they need, they just go print them some more. You know, they, then they vote on a budget. Budget's there. But then they have to do the appropriation bill. And that appropriation, please listen, means that they release the money. When you combine Matthew and Acts, those words that we read, Jesus said, all authority, exousia, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And because I've been given the authority, you'll receive the power. I give you the power, the dunamis power. I wonder, could it be that the reason that Christendom and the church today is so weak is because we act without the power and authority that Jesus wants to give us? By the way, I just, as an aside, Christendom is crumbling today, and it won't be rebuilt. Because it's not founded on the Lord Jesus, who is the only firm foundation. Could it be that, that we're trying to do things in our own power without, the, without the, that empowerment of the Holy Spirit? Now, I know what we have taught. We have taught, because I've been one of the ones doing it, hello. We have taught that once you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. It's all you ever need, all you'll ever have, and all you ever want. But I want to tell you what I found out as I'm a little <clears throat> more seasoned. Okay, I'm older. You know what I've discovered? There are times in my life when I speak and I do, and God's all over it. I can just sense His power working through what I say and what I do. But there are other times when I speak, and I don't think God's anywhere to be found. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, did God make a mistake? No, it's not God's fault. It's my fault. So how do, can we as individuals and thus as a church, how can we be sure that we, that we 
are appropriating the authority and the power Jesus has for us. I have three, four, five suggestions. There's no one, two, three method in uh, the Bible, but I have three or four, five suggestions. You want to write them down or you just want to remember them? Number one, you need to spend time with God every day. Oh, Brother Jerry, I don't have time every day. I can do it twice a week. Okay, I have a question for you. Who in here has less than 24 hours a day? Now, I didn't say to whom does, does it seem like there's less than 24 hours a day. Everybody has the same amount of time. And I want to tell you something about yourself that nobody's ever said to you, possibly. You make time for what you want to do. You make time for what's important to you. You'll never get the power. You'll never sense the Spirit. You'll never know what it is to follow God through Christ unless you carve out a little time every day. Some people will say it has to be in the morning. I'm not that hard-nosed. I'm just saying it has to be every day. And when you go to Him in prayer, number two, be ready to repent of the sin you're committing. Now, I... Let me tell you something that doesn't work. Dear God, if I've committed any sin, forgive me. I had one young lady to tell me one time, used this story many times, her name's Holly. She told me one time, she said, I can't think of any sins. I said, tell you what to do. We were at youth camp. I said, you go get under that tree tonight when you have your sealed orders. And you say, God, I told Brother Jerry that... I couldn't remember any sin. Can you remember some? Tell me about them. Next morning, I saw her at breakfast, and when I walked in, she had a big old smile on her face. I said, what did he tell you? She said, whoo, he remembered a lot of things I had tried to forget. But if we don't repent of our sin, God will never be around us. The next thing I'd suggest to you is ask God to go with you wherever you go that day and to direct you and lead you. And then... Remain sensitive to the fact that God is with you wherever you go. Too many of us say, God, go with me today, and we never think about Him again. God, follow me today, and we just go our own way, and we never think about Him again. Be sensitive to the fact that He is actually there with you. Somebody asked me, what does it mean to be Spirit-filled? And I don't know that I have the exact answer, but I'm going to tell you what it means to me, Brother Terry. It means an awareness that wherever I go, whatever I say, Whatever I do, God is right there with me. And you know what I have discovered? It's the craziest thing. When I'm aware that God's looking over my shoulder like my mom and dad used to, I say things a little differently. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I act a little differently. The next thing I suggest to you is to be sensitive to where God's at work around you. God is at work around you. He's working in this world. I've never seen it. Well, it's because you're not paying attention. You see, folks, watch this. When you pay attention to where God is at work around you, you can get in on what God is up to. And then you do not have to worry about God blessing what you're doing because you're doing what God's blessing. Hello? You see, we need to appropriate that authority by walking in the Spirit, as Ephesians says, walk worthy. The second thing we need to do if we're going to become a missional church, we need to accept our assignment. 
We need to accept our assignment. <laughs> you know, our, our international mission board and our home mission board both assigns missionaries. Now, they give them a little leeway in the early stages, but when they appoint them, they appoint them to a specific place and a specific responsibility. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. He says, as the Father sent me, so send I you. He says, since you're going anyway, go and make disciples. That is our assignment. And you know what the truth is? That means that we become home missionaries. And Christendom, the Christendom church has taught us that being a missionary is only for the super Christians and the staff. They're the ones charged with all this. Well, did you realize that before that 4th century... 313, did you realize that every believer, every believer saw himself as a missionary? Every believer saw himself as a minister. They changed their lives to share the gospel message. Now, if I were to ask you what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, many of you go, well, I know what that says, Brother Jerry. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. If you will, turn there because there's a part of that that you missed. It's not on the screen. You're going to have to actually do some work. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse 16. We are reading a lot of God's Word today because I want you to know this is just not an idea that Brother Jerry had, Ed Stetzer had, or Mantria had, or Hunter had. This is God's Word. Watch this in verse 16 of chapter 5. 5 of 2 Corinthians. From then on, from now on then, we do not know anyone in purely a human way. Even if we have known Christ in a purely human way, yet now we no longer know him like that. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. That means he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Now, everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, now watch this, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Here it comes. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, we're ambassadors. We are representatives. We are emissaries. Now, here's the deal. When you're an ambassador, when you're a representative, when you're an emissary, you don't get to set the agenda. Did you hear that? When you're an ambassador, when you're a representative, when you're an emissary, you do not get to set the agenda. You know who sets the agenda? The one who sent you. You see, we've been given the assignment. Since you're now in me, you be the missionary and you go share the message. You be the transforming agent in your culture and your community 
You let people see Jesus in you. Now, if we're going to do that, we're going to do that. We know that Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power, appropriate our authority, and you'll be my witnesses, accept our assignment. You just think things are sticky. Don't come tell me that I stomped on your toes because now it's going to get to your shins. Because the next thing that we have to do to become a missional church is we need to adjust our approach. Now, this is going to hurt a little bit. It does mean when I prepare it. I'm back in Acts chapter 1. And he says, you'll be my witnesses. Now, watch this. In Jerusalem, that's at home. In Judea, that's in the surrounding areas. Alabama, United States. In Samaria, that's across the tracks. That is those places that we really do not want to go. The Jews didn't want to go to Samaria. They wouldn't have anything to do with Samaritans. And then to the uttermost parts of the world, that's world missions. Now, folks, when we look at that assignment from the Father uh, through Jesus, here's what we discover. We discover that we're pretty good on 50% of it. (laughs) The Judea part and the rest of the world part, we got that covered. We send 10% of our money. Occasionally, we send somebody out. But when it gets to the Jerusalem and the Samaria part, whoa, Nelly. Whoa, Nelly. Now you're talking about me having to do something. You're talking about me having to change my life. You see, the message of our Father is for every person to do his part in the work of the kingdom. And we have a problem. Because we have to reach our culture. I just want us to think about our Jerusalem just for a second. I want to direct your attention to the screen. And I'm just going to, I want to talk you through this, is that our culture has changed. And I want you to open your minds and hearts just for a second and think about this. We have changed from a church culture. We have been a church culture. Hit it three times, please, Alicia. Glenn Hunter writes that we as believers in America have had the home court advantage. Yesterday you watched football, many of you. You know what the home field is. When you're at home field, you have your fans going on. Everything's running in your favor. It's been like that in America, and yet it's changed. One time, and many of you remember, some of our younger people do not ever remember, The church was the center of of the community. Do you remember that? Say amen. The church was the center of the community, and it shaped the culture. Today, that's no longer the case. And the church, number three, had had a role in public life. Influence. They wouldn't dare schedule a football game on Wednesday night, and now they schedule it on Sunday morning. Our culture has changed, and it's changed from... And change to an unchurched culture. Hit it three more times, please. You see those things? Now watch this. Increasingly, the church has become isolated from the world rather than engaged with the world. We've changed to a, a society that, that has all the isms, secularism, pluralism, relativism, 
All of those things are anti-scripture. Technology and globalization has taken their toll as churches have refused to understand the culture in this context. And so we've become marginalized. And when you see it said privatized, what's happened is that, oh, let's move on. Because it will tell you how Christendom churches respond. In our relationship to the culture, we become left behind and out of touch. If I were to ask you, how many unchurched, unbelieving friends, close friends, do you have? If I were to, if I were to pass this paper around and say, write me down three names apiece of folks that you know need the Lord. Some of you would have to scramble and scratch your head because, because our response as a, as a Christendom church is that we got left behind and the result is we retreat into the church Kind of a circle the wagons mentality. You remember that circle the wagons? If, you, if you're not a Western person, you don't know what I'm talking about. But I used to watch a wagon train. They get attacked by Indians. What they do is circle the wagons and take care of everybody inside. What's happened with the church is that we don't like what's going on in the world. Instead of trying to engage it and change it, we kind of circle the wagons and we move to survival mode and we focus ourselves on our consumers, which is a real problem. You are not a consumer here. You're not our customer. Hopefully, if you're a member of this congregation, you're a servant of King Jesus. But you see, the Christendom Church focuses on living for its members. Now, I'm going to tell you this story. A number of years ago, I was in an uh, interview with a pastor search committee, and it didn't go anywhere. I, about halfway through it, I go, okay, I just put my questions up because the Lord spoke to me and said, this isn't for you. Because I saw that we were, that, that that pastor search committee and their church was more interested in taking care of our four and no more than they were about making a change in the community. That's a Christendom church. Now, how would an apostolic church, a, a missional church, respond? First of all, they stay kingdom-focused and gospel-focused. Gospel-focused. Do you live a gospel-focused life? Do you live a kingdom-focused life? Do you have the Lord walking with you every day? Are you sensitive to the fact that he's there with you? You see, a kingdom-focused church gets off of I-focused. And look at this statement here, that they disengage from the culture in order to re-engage the culture with the gospel. You know, our, our culture don't need churches to become and Christians to become like them. What they really need and are looking for is churches to be different and walk in the Spirit. Everybody is searching for answers today. And sometimes we, as the, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens is that, is that we try to become so much like them that we lose the impact of what the gospel is all about. The gospel, when it says, come out and be separate, it talks about being holy, not being disengaged. And what happens with the missional church is that when we focus in, Edward, put the gospel in, that we can focus the gospel out to the world. And it gives us a missionary heart. That's our identity. Do you have a missionary heart? You think about, if, if you were a missionary here on assignment, what would you do differently? Because you are a missionary and you are on assignment. We're on assignment. 
to transform the world. So, so, causes us to adjust, to adjust our focus, to adjust our approach to the church, to the world, to our Lord. Now, you've heard all of this. You see the answer up there is that we have to act on the answer. Now that you've gotten it written down, let me have your eyes. I'm going to ask you not to close your Bible, not to reach for your coat, not to look at your watch. Every time Jesus gives a message, it requires a response. Every time he speaks, he expects us to respond to him. First thing is that he speaks to us about our soul. And he says, you're a sinner. And he invites you to trust him. That your sin can be forgiven. We'll talk about that tonight. That your life can be changed. So now when you do that, and if you've not done that, let me just say, if you've not done that, in just a moment we're going to give you an opportunity to come and do that very thing. Trust Christ. When we trust Christ, we are now called to live above the fray. We are called to be his missionaries, his witnesses, and this world that's so desperately needed. Our world is crumbling. And if you don't want to make it to the world, move it to the United States of America. You older folks, I say you older folks, if you're older than me, you're old because I'm getting there, okay? Here's what I will tell you. Those who are older than me, who would have ever thought that a high school principal and an athletic director would stand before a judge on criminal charges for asking the blessing over the food at the dedication of a field house. It happened Thursday. Their trial was thirsty. Glory to God. Something they thought out. I'll just, let me just take a minute and tell you this. When the judge put the, the order out, he said it would be a criminal charge. Everybody thought that was bad. But what happened backfired on him because when they were called to answer for what they had done, they had to, to be convicted on criminal charges. There has to be intent. And the presiding judge said, it's obvious there was no intent here. It was just a habit of what they did. However, and so they were, the case was kicked out, but however... Who would have thought that in America that would ever have been a case? Now, folks, here's the truth. We can blame the courthouse and we can blame the White House. But I submit to you it's a failure in the church house. Because we've not been missional in our Jerusalem. We have not gone to our Samaria. And our lives as a church is not about transforming a lost community. I just Let me tell you how passionate I am about this. Next Sunday night, during the message, I've not even told Brother Johnny this, next Sunday night during the message time, we're going to gather around. I'll read a scripture, and then we're going to talk. 
And we'll talk how it is that we might be able to get into our community in those cracks and crevices of our community with the gospel. It's not about laying blame. We can go back 1,500 years and lay blame. It's about figuring out what is best for us to do to reach and touch this community with the gospel of Christ. And some of us are still saying, well, I don't want to be a part of that. Well, yeah, you do if you know the Lord. And I close with this story to illustrate. It's not a matter it's not a matter that you go out and give the four spiritual laws or beat somebody over the head with the Bible. <laughs> it's about you be who you are in Christ. Watch this. During the gold rush, three prospectors in California were prospecting and they found a rich vein of gold. They knew they had to go stake their claim. But they agreed together that they would not tell anybody about this gold vein. And sure enough, all three of them, none of the three of them, told anyone. And when they went to town and staked their claim and they came back out to their uh, now new mine, there were people following from all around. And you say, wait a minute, Brother Jerry, how did they follow them? How did they know what was going on? Here's why. The reports were, The smiles on their face and their body language attracted the crowd. You see, when something's good going on inside of you, you can't keep it a secret. No such thing as a secret Christian. Either the secret will destroy the Christian, or the Christian will destroy the secret. Do you know the Lord today? Are you willing to be a part of his work, this great work, this kingdom work? If not, why not? Oh, Brother Jerry, I'll do it, but I'll do it later. Well, this needs to be done. We're losing our country. We're not going to have a country to leave to our young people. And here's my three questions, and I'm going to pray. If not you, who? If not here, where? And if not now, when?